Hi, and welcome to the State of Shakespeare. I'm Jim Elliott. And I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And today on the program, we have Terry Tamanen. Terry is the author of The Lost Letters of William Shakespeare, The Undiscovered Diary of His Strange, Eventful Life and Loves, a fascinating project involving letters that Shakespeare wrote. And I am very interested to hear about these letters. Terry, welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being on the program. Before we dive into the Lost Letters Project, how did you first become interested and involved in, in the world of Shakespeare? I was in junior high school in Los Angeles and was in a theater class, and we were studying Shakespeare, and we did a scene competition at UCLA, and my team won, and I think that just, I got bit by the Shakespeare bug from then on. What did you perform in that competition? I was Lord Capulet, and we were performing from uh, Romeo and Juliet. And did you not go on to do a one-man show based on Shakespeare? Well, I did, and uh, was in a number of theater companies. My family moved to Australia, and I spent time in Europe and and England. But my interest in this led me to write a one-man play where the, the premise is that it's Shakespeare on the stage of the Globe Playhouse packing up his belongings and at the end of his career heading back to Stratford and he notices there's people in the in the house and so he strikes up a conversation and basically it, it's the story of his life and I was performing that play in London in 1989 and an elderly woman came up to me after one of the shows and said she had access to some letters that she thought may have been written by Shakespeare and might inform my understanding of him and and uh, she gave me access to the letters and that's where this project began oh my goodness and so you've had these letters for now it sounds like about 28 years would that be accurate yes and before your listeners you know start throwing things at the radio and saying oh sure you know here's another guy with found letters and and this is a a scam i was exceptionally uh skeptical myself And I should just mention that I was the secretary of the California Environmental Protection Agency. I've worked with the UN. I'm not a professional Shakespeare scholar, but I'm also not crazy. And so I've spent all these years in my spare time studying the letters, obviously, with old English uh, writing and and grammar and, and references. It was very difficult to decipher and came to the conclusion that they were indeed written by Shakespeare. And so I I now want to get this published and let the world decide for themselves. Well, you did mention in one of our uh, correspondences that it's been put through the algorithm that helped prove that Marlowe wrote Henry VI, I believe. Yes, there is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, an engineering professor, not an English professor, who developed an algorithm, it turns out that the way we use words in our written correspondence is kind of like a fingerprint, and each one of us is so uniquely different. That is, if you have a baseline, you can then determine who wrote something else that you're not sure of. And in this case, he ran the Henry VI plays through his algorithm and was able to confirm what scholars have long thought, which is that about a third of those plays were written by Christopher Marlowe. So I reached out to him and asked him to run the letters through his system, and he compared them to to Marlowe, to Ben Jonson, to other writers of that time, and came back with a conclusion that it was most likely Shakespeare. Now, I don't want to overstate what a, an outstanding academic has concluded so far, and in fact, I've, I've been raising money with an Indiegogo campaign to fund a grant for his additional research 
on these letters, and we'll continue to do that after the book is published. But it was tantalizing additional evidence that these may indeed have been written by Shakespeare. So it begs the question, because you're wading into territory that is very controversial among Shakespeare circles about who wrote what and what he was doing at the time. So which, which is easier, trying to convince a climate change denier that climate change is real? Or trying to convince a Shakespeare scholar that the lost letters are real? Wow, wow, that's a great question, and I've never really thought of it. I'll credit Garrett with that question. I hope that the climate change debate is coming to an end, given what we had happened in 2017 with these epic storms, wildfires, droughts. Basically, everything that was predicted by climate scientists decades ago is coming true. So at some point, even those who might still think the Earth is flat will have to come around. But with Shakespeare, as you guys know, and many of your listeners know, we have no absolutely accepted, authenticated versions of Shakespeare's handwriting except six signatures on legal documents, which all look slightly different. And so there is no objective way to look at a piece of handwriting and absolutely conclude that it was written by him. And as you know, there's so many people who deny he wrote the works we attribute to him and even a campaign to say that Shakespeare never existed that has adherence, uh, strangely, like Derek Jacobi and and other luminaries, that if that's the case, it's going to be a lot harder to convince these uh, folks about Shakespeare's uh, letters. I'm interested in the provenance of these letters. So these letters, you became aware of them in in 1989. And then were you shown them? Were you given them? Are they in your possession? What? How did you have access to them and study them? So, and this is where the controversy will continue, and I should just state up front for you and your listeners that I am preparing these letters for publication under the title that you mentioned at the top of the show, but edited and adapted by me based on a true story. I am offering these as based on a true story, so if people want to think they're fiction or part fiction, they may. If they want to come to the conclusion that I do, that's great. I'm hoping that the letters will resurface to at least confirm that part of the story. But to answer your question, the lady who had seen the show said that she had these letters. She was willing to let me see them and study them, but I could not take them or copy them. And long story short, I came to conclude that she was working for uh, an archive, most likely the Royal Archive, and didn't have permission to bring these things out. And she was elderly, was probably at the end of her career, and these things were sitting in obscurity, and she apparently couldn't get attention within formal circles, so she wanted someone to see them and do something with them. So I spent many nights with her, weeks, transcribing the letters and then took them back to the United States and it's been my hobby for a number of years now to try to understand what's in them and correlate them to other contemporary sources. Now, during that, of course, I also came across the forgeries of William Henry Ireland and others who have tried to foist uh, Shakespeare forgeries on the public. So I'm very aware that that kind of industry existed, especially in the 1700s and early 1800s. But but my research led me to conclude that these really are from the Bard of Avon. And how many letters are there? There's 96 in total. The first 16 are what I've finished and prepared for publication, and they cover the three-year period from when he left Stratford until we first uh, see him with a success on the London stage. And so very much the lost years that everyone always refers to. And it turns out that he was headed to the New World, to the Americas, to try to restore his family's fortune. In those days, people were promised 500 acres if they would go settle in what we now call Virginia. 
And as we learn from the letters, Shakespeare was granted passage on a ship by Governor John White, the first governor of Virginia, and then was, for a number of reasons, denied actually sailing on that ship, which is a good thing because that ship turned out to be the lost colony of Roanoke. Oh. And so had he been on that ship, we would have known his name from the manifest, but never, never had the Shakespeare that we know today. Wow. So the letters that you prepared, the first 16 letters deal with sort of the first part of Shakespeare's life prior to his first big success or maybe culminating in his first big stage success. So there are 80 other letters. Is there a possibility that there may be a a sequel or a follow-up project? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to working on uh, two more books. Some of the the first letters were very long uh, and detailed. And Shakespeare writes, first of all, I should just tell you, these letters were written to John Coombe, which was his schoolmate and and longtime friend. He wrote them to John for safekeeping for his son, Hamnet, for Shakespeare's son. Because when Shakespeare left Stratford, Hamnet was two years old. And so he knew there was a possibility he'd never be able to come back. Uh, Obviously, going to London was dangerous, let alone to the New World. And he wanted his son one day to know why his father did what he did and, you know, what his life was like. So in the beginning, he writes these letters in great detail, in part kind of justifying what he did and explaining some very amazing things about his life. As he got more successful and was able to go back to Stratford and see his son grow, he started writing the letters more to John, just as as updates of what was going on and different kinds of things. So they became much shorter. So these first 16 are really the most interesting because they do fill in that gap about the lost years. Mm-hmm. I wonder, do the letters at all cover when Hamnet died? They do. And it's interesting, he continues to write them. And and at many times through the years, he'll address Hamnet again in these letters, which he's writing to to John Coombe. But he comes to the conclusion that one reason he wants to continue asking John to hold on to these letters is that he believes that he'll see his son in heaven. And he wants this record to be kept. And it's not clear if he thinks somehow the letters will, obviously they didn't end up in his casket, but (laughs) if he thinks he's going to take them with him. But, you know, there's a great speech, and I think it's King John, where he talks about the death of a son, talks about grief fills up the room of my absent child, walks up and down with me, puts on his pretty looks and fills out his vacant garments with his form. And when you read that, it's impossible not to think about what Shakespeare must have thought with respect to losing Hamnet. It sounds like a a fascinating story, and it's all being uh, made available to the public via a forthcoming book. Is that correct? Yes, the book is at the designers right now, literally being, you know, typeset and all that sort of thing. We were hoping to have it out uh, by the end of the year, but it'll be the first of, of 2018. And we have a great group of professional actors who will be recording the audiobook starting in January. So that will also be available early in the new year. And nowadays, it seems most people like podcasts, including wonderful podcasts like The State of Shakespeare. <laughs> so we're hoping that, especially since these letters are fairly long, and uh, that people will really just savor them and, and uh, hear them read out loud. Is, is Hollywood interested as well in this story? You know, I've talked to, um, I should also mention to you and your listeners, when I was EPA secretary, I was working for a guy you may have heard of named Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> and got to know some, some of Hollywood a little bit. And I'm currently the CEO of the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation, which is an environmental foundation. And once again, have access to lots of folks here in Hollywood. And I've talked to a number of them about it. 
And, you know, Hollywood prefers to have something that already has a built-in audience, and Shakespeare sometimes can be a challenge to bring to the mass market. So they want to see the book published first and then consider whether it's a movie or maybe a TV series right. based on the book. Well, we know Leonardo has some experience with Shakespeare in his past. Indeed, indeed. Do you recognize a difference in Shakespeare as a letter writer, the person, and Shakespeare as a playwright, the dramatist? Well, sure. I mean, obviously, very different forms, and and uh, especially when he's in a hurry, you know, says things in a much less poetic fashion. But I'd say the interesting thing is the similarities that I see, and I try to footnote those throughout the book. You can tell, even from the very first letter, when he's talking about people that he meets along the way, and he would write what they said. So he already is thinking kind of scenically and in terms of dialogue and, and character. And he's describing many of these people. And of course, the when he left uh, Stratford, as we learn in the letters, he went as a Johannes Factotum, a jack-of-all-trades, working for the Earl of Leicester's men, which was a play company, a, a theater company. Mm -hmm. And they were on tour. They were a man short. They hired him. And he describes the, the fellows that he's working with in some detail. But again, he does that by reporting their conversations. So you can begin to see uh, the playwright in him. And then the other interesting thing, which I footnoted extensively, is wherever I saw people that seemed to emerge later in a play, at least the ones that I'm familiar with, I've made notes of that. And there are there's even dialogue where you can just tell he must have been thinking about this, as I mentioned before, like when his son dies, you, it's hard not to think of that when you read that passage from King John. But it's true throughout the letters, we see him grabbing snippets of conversation, which then seem to color his, his later playwriting. You don't happen to have a snippet from one of the letters to, to read to us right now, do you? Sure, no, yeah, happy to do it. So here's the passage that illuminates somewhat of what Shakespeare was doing. He starts to write the letters, and then he says the following, uh, and this is to John Coombe, his dear friend. Oh, John, my mind overflows from events unlooked for with a group of men that I know now so briefly. Ink and paper are dear, but I would trade my last scrap of bread to keep this record of my journey, since I fear it will be a long one, and I would have my son know his father. Therefore, cuz, I make thee the book wherein my soul records the history of all its secret thoughts. Be thou, in my absence, a friend to my brothers, a son to my mother, a confessor to my wife, indeed the holder of all else I possess, but most of all, be thou as a father to my son. Take from these accounts what matter thou deemst fit for his youthful ears, saving the rest for his own divining when he is a man and better suited to understand the whips and scorns of life, labor, and love. Deny me not this favor, and God, I trust, will repay thee, even though it is mine own desire to do likewise in some fuller measure ere long. Now, when you hear that passage and then you hear that tiny snippet there, the whips and scorns of life, labor, and love, we know that he spoke about the whips and scorns of time. Yeah, and he wrote Love's Labor's Lost. Well, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's just so many little tantalizing moments, even in the first letter here, that you realize the way he was thinking and the way he saw life. I should mention that I've started a website called ShakespeareLetters.com, and all of this is explained there, the prologue to the book, which explains how I got the letters, what I did with them, so everyone, skeptics and fans alike, can understand. 
and draw their own conclusions, but at least everyone can understand what I knew, what I did with the letters, and there's no question I did adapt them. I, I did make changes because there were some things that were missing. There were you know, letters that were words that were hard to read. There were passages that I found from other contemporary sources that I augmented in the book. So that's why I say edited and adapted. The letters span many years, and you say the current letters, the first 16, culminate in his first big stage success. Any of the ensuing letters, do they mention any of the plays that Shakespeare has written? Oh, absolutely. In fact, the first one does. It explains how he came to write Titus Andronicus and why there was such a Roman influence at that time. And that part is fascinating, the Queen Elizabeth in celebrating her victory over Spain, which Shakespeare was in one of the armies that actually defended the country, because the Earl of Leicester, his patron at the time, his boss, was in charge of all the land defenses. So everyone was recruited to be part of the army that was ready to repulse the Armada should they actually land troops on English soil. And there's uh, actually in, in one of the letters, Shakespeare describes how he and his fellows were part of a group that actually did repulse the only known landing of troops on British soil. And then after that, when the queen was celebrating the victory, she and many of her nobles dressed up as Roman emperors and gods. So there was kind of a fad at the time about uh, Roman history. And then it turns out that the theater, which is now being excavated and renovated as a uh, historic site in London, that uh, was the first purpose-built playhouse in England and Shakespeare performed there, and that, that we know from other scholars, was on the site of a Roman burial ground. And when they were digging up footings and other things for the theater and for the barn next to it, they found Roman artifacts, which uh, which influenced Shakespeare as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And, and the mystery that surrounds Shakespeare's life has been a source of interest for over 400 years. And the Lost Letters Project is evidence of the enduring fascination that surrounds the man behind the greatest works in the English language. Terry, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Terry. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Cheers. So long. I'm Jim Elliott. And I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And thank you for listening to The State of Shakespeare. Thanks for joining us for the State of Shakespeare podcast. We invite you to visit stateofshakespeare.com for more episodes, information about each of our guests, and the Shakespeare text you heard on the program, and much more. And we welcome you to join the discussion by liking us on Facebook. That's www.stateofshakespeare.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.